Well, as I mentioned earlier, this is a bit of a different day. We've had a, a stage full of folks celebrating, man, it felt like Easter, and every Sunday should be Easter Sunday, amen? It's just good. It's fifth Sunday, we just decided to fill that stage back up and just celebrate, and Jesus is alive every single day, and his resurrection is, uh, is worth our celebration, whether it is uh, the appointed day for Easter or any other, and so, so that's part of it, man, and then the, the truths in the song and, and Chad's word at the beginning and Derek's word for communion, I was like, man, I don't think this is even necessary for me, like, this is good word has been already proclaimed through song and through um, just proclamation of introducing dif- different elements of our service, and so I'm going to try to continue the theme of something slightly different and, and preach a little not so long, so y'all can pray for me, because you know that's funny, yeah, it's a joke, I know, I get it, I get it. So, but here's what's happening. So we've had a lot of truth already proclaimed this morning. We're also in the midst of of, uh, the end of a book where a lot of truth has already been proclaimed. So we've been walking through the book of Ecclesiastes, and if you're unfamiliar with that book, it's been a really, uh, I think it's been cool. I've heard several people of you, or several of you say this has been such a good series and a book that we maybe weren't familiar with. It's been hard to preach through at different times, but it's been good, I think, um, just to sit under this, uh, this word from King Solomon. Right? This, is, this is the richest, one of the richest men, if not the richest men of all time, one of the most powerful and certainly the wisest of men outside of Jesus Christ to ever walk the earth. And this is him sitting down saying, let me, let me teach you about life. Let me show you how to live life because I've tried it all. I've done it all. I've been there, done that. I got all the t-shirts and let me just tell you how, how, let, me, let me give you some highlights. I'm going to give you some, some pointers. You ever gone to a new place, new place on vacation, and, and you're not familiar? You know, there's a lot to do. You know, I see this on you know, Facebook a lot. Hey, we're headed here. We're headed there. What are some, some must-hit places? What are some things to avoid, right? We want to know those, those, those points along the way. Hey, we, you should really do this. This is worth your time. It's not, why, right? Because when you go on vacation, you have a limited amount of time. You've spent your money. You don't want to waste your time on something that's a dud. You don't want to waste your time waiting in line for something that wasn't good. So you want to hear from other people, hey, this is worth it. This is not, right? It's helpful. Solomon is saying, listen, your life is valuable. Much like a vacation, it has value. God has given it to you to steward. He's given it to you to make something out of, to, to use it for his good. So let me, let me teach you, Solomon says, how to, how to live it well. Let me tell you what wor- not, what, what's, what's not worth pursuing. Let me tell you what is worth pursuing. Let me tell you how to uh, engage this. Let me tell you how to avoid that. And so he has walked us through really this big look at life from a philosophical standpoint, also from just a hedonistic standpoint. He has, he has uh, turned down no pleasure to himself saying, hey, I want to figure out what's good to do under the sun. I, I got this life. I have all of these means. Let me figure out what's good. And, and he says, let, let me just show you. I thought I might find satisfaction in stuff, and I had more stuff than any American could ever dream of, and it was vanity. So then I thought maybe it would be pleasure. Let me try pleasure. All of the pleasure, all of the food, all of the entertainment, all of the the intimacy, all of the, like, he had more pleasure than any of us could ever dream of, And, and he says, yeah, I mean, I enjoyed it, but it was still vanity. It was still empty. He uses this word vanity uh, over and over and over again to, remind, to, to, to communicate this idea of these things we go after, run after, they, they feel like if we can get a hold of them, that we'll, we'll feel complete, that we'll feel satisfied. But he said it's, vanity is this idea of, of a vapor, of, of a fleeting. It's there. It means something. It, it's, it's, it's not that it's without substance, but you can't grip it. You can't hold on to it. You can't keep it. It's, it's fleeting. So is our life. And so he comes back to this over and over again. He says, maybe it'd be money. Maybe if I have all the money in the world, maybe then I'll feel satisfied. 
No, still vanity. Maybe it's power. Maybe I get all the power in the world. Maybe that will satisfy me. Maybe, maybe it's wisdom. Let me learn all that I can. Let me get all of the points. Maybe that will satisfy me. No, right? He goes on and on. Maybe it, it's, it's women. Maybe it is, it is armies. Maybe it's servants. Maybe it's popularity. It goes on and on and on and says it was all vanity. And then he takes this and says, but everything under the sun is vanity. And so, as C.S. Lewis said, if, if I find in myself a desire that cannot be filled by something here on this earth, the, the logical conclusion is I must be made for something beyond this earth. And, and Solomon is leading us to that same conclusion, saying, if you go to all of these things that are here under the sun and none of them satisfy you at your core, then the conclusion must be that you're made for something beyond this earth. And, and see, we're just young and dumb enough. It doesn't matter how old you are. You're still, to Solomon, young and dumb enough to think, yeah, but I just need to get this, right? You're still believing the lie. You're still thinking, I know, I know, I know, but, but for me, I don't want Solomon's riches. I just need, like, my neighbor's riches. I don't need this. I don't need the castle. I don't need all that Solomon had. I don't need 700 wives. I just need a different wife. And, and you allow yourself to believe these lies and thinking, if I just get here, I just achieve this, then I'll, I'll, I'll be happy. And, and, his, and he's screaming at us. He's coming from every different angle trying to show us. Actually, he's not screaming at us. He's sitting back very relaxed, probably smoking a pipe, sharing this wisdom, going, I know you think that, bud. Didn't work. Won't work. Go if you want, but I could save you the trouble. It won't work. And so he's pointing us to something beyond. And you start to see in the middle of the book that this, this truth about something that does transcend under the sun, God himself. And, and, and the, the, the reality, the truth of God being the one who controls this world begins to put things into place and put things into perspective that allow us then to enjoy and even to make good use of and to be productive here on this earth. So these things that are fleeting and vain that, that won't fulfill us, they do have purpose, but they have to have their, their place ordered correctly in, in our hearts. And he says, when you get God in the right position, in the right place in your life, then you can enjoy the right amount of money. Then you can enjoy pleasure. You can enjoy good food. You can enjoy entertainment. You can enjoy wealth. You can enjoy power. All these things are, are good, and, and, and we don't have to disregard them altogether, but you have to have them in the right place in your life. And so in some ways, he sort of said, none of this will satisfy you. You just need God. But then if we're, where he's getting us to is this conclusion, and, and here's what I'm picturing is, if you follow along and you're reading this book and you're, you're checking off the list of things, okay, this won't make me happy, this won't make me happy, this won't make me happy, and you're going, okay, it's just God. But then if, you're, if you kind of look back up and you go, but I still have all this stuff, so what do I do with it? Right? And by stuff, I mean like your life and your family and your influence and, right, I still got this life, so do I just wait for heaven? Or what am I supposed to do? And here's where he's getting to, here's, here's the hook, I think. Next week, he's going to tell us the sum of it all. But he, he's saying, yeah, 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 go there. Think about it. What are you supposed to do? And what does he tell us today? Give it away. What you got left, the things you've been blessed with, the time you have left, the family you have, the money you have, the treasure you have, the home you have, the job you have, give it away. 
Let's look. He says verse, in chapter 11, it, this is, we, we skipped a lot of chapter 10. It, it's, uh, it's kind of like, um, just like full auto proverbs that he's kind of summing up in chapter 10. You should read it. It's good. I just didn't feel like, I just didn't feel like I could preach through it in a productive way. So, so we jump into chapter 11, and it's kind of, uh, the first four verses are kind of on the tail end of this just uh, proverbial-like statements. But he begins to sink into a theme here. And what he says in verse 1 is, hey, cast your bread upon the waters. Now, that's weird. I don't know about you. I thought about like a loaf of bread, like just putting it out there. All right, cool, thanks. Like, what next? Like, I don't know what to do with that. It's going to sink, right? You put some bread out there, it's going to waterlog, it's going to sink, right? And, you're, and then some commentators are like, well, but their bread was more like, you know, unleavened, more of a cracker-like. It probably float a little bit longer. And I'm like, all right, so? How's that help me? Like, uh, thanks? Like, I, cool. So maybe I could, you know, maybe it'll float till I see it gone. Like, I, I don't understand. What's he saying? Cast your bread upon the waters and you'll find it after many days. He, he's he's going to lead us into he, uh, this this idea of, hey, Give it away, like take risk. Use wisdom, yes, but don't sit around waiting for all the stars to align for you to jump in and live your life. He's going, no, no, like God is taking care of the end risk. He's taking care of our eternity, right? So what do we have to fear? Don't, don't hold on to your stuff. Get rid of it, like do something with it. He's talking about sanctified risk-taking. God's people should be a people of radical, radical lives that, that hold our lives cheaply in our hands and saying, yeah, yeah, I don't have to try to get something out of this life. I've got something, and it's waiting for me in the next, and it cannot be taken from me. So you know what? Here's all of this. You want to take it from me? You can use it. Just here's all of this. This is this is what we see, like when we encounter God in, in, a, in a powerful fashion, and we see him for who he is, this sort of reaction happens automatically. Hands just fly open. You read Acts 2. Jesus got up out of the grave, hung out with people for 40 days, showed himself to over 500 people, right? People touching his hands, seeing him eat stuff. And then he ascends into heaven. He's told his disciples, wait here. Wait here. We're, like, this is just the beginning, he says. Like, wait here. It, this is, he's like excited. He's like, I know you're bummed that I'm leaving, but it's better that I leave because when I leave, I'm going to send the Spirit, and it's going to, boom, explode this whole deal into the church. It's going to be awesome. So wait here and pray, and God's going to send the helper. And Acts 2, it, they're there. They're waiting. They're praying. And what happens? Boom. God falls on them in power, and the Spirit falls and, and begins to just move in a powerful way, and people start speaking in languages they don't know, and there's, there's people that speak in different dialects than them, but all of a sudden, they're, they're hearing the gospel, and people get saved to the tune of 3,000 in a day. The church just begins to explode. because Why? Because Jesus is alive. Y'all, like, that's my favorite song, just so you know. Praise the King. There's a reason why. Jesus says, I'm alive. I'm going to light the flame of the church, and, and this thing's going to spread and go throughout all the nations. And what do they do? <laughs> They're just like, okay, here's my life. Like, no longer are they worried about what they've been storing up at home. They just come, and they're at church, and they're like, man, we got a mission. we got a God who's alive. Like, and then they look around at people, and they're like, oh, you don't, you don't know what you're going to eat tomorrow? Oh, cool, cool, cool. I got, I got bread. Here, here's my bread. Oh, you don't have a house to live in? Just come live with me. Oh, you don't have, a, you don't have like a buggy or a donkey to, to work 
I got two or three. Here's an extra. They just start opening up their hands to the stuff that they've been holding on to. Why? Because they have a greater treasure. We start to see what Jesus promised in the parable of the, the kingdom, where he said the, the great pearl or the treasure. He says, when you stumble upon this, when you see the beauty of the gospel, you, you will give up everything else just so you can have that. And we start to see it lived out in Acts 2 and beyond. We start to see people open up their hands to, their, to, to the things they've been gripping, trying to get life out of, and saying, my goodness, like, you need this? I don't, I don't need it. Like, I got Jesus. Like, whatever, we'll just take care of each other. Like, this is an amazing movement of God, and this is what Solomon is saying. Once you realize that none of this stuff will get you what you think you need, and God is the only one, and guess what? He's made his way to you, so you know what? Take risk. Send your bread out on the water. So back to this idea. Solomon's saying, don't, don't hold on to it. Don't worry and fret and anxiousness. The last verse says, remove vexation from your heart. Don't be all like caught up and worried and, you know, ulcers over what's the right move, where to invest, and all of these things. He says, you can chill. The gospel's true. Jesus is alive. You can rest. You know, Jesus promised us rest, and we're like, I don't know. Is that like a, a nap? Like what? What does that mean? It's, it's this. It's removing vexation from our heart. It's removing the anxiousness from our hearts, worrying about this or that or our future. He says, I'll give you rest. I'll take all that away because you, you're not going to know the future and how it's going to play out here and there, but you know the one who does. You know the ultimate end, and you can rest assured that nobody could take it from you. So he says, cast your bread upon the waters. This is a, an analogy of sending your goods out on ships, right? Like, don't hold back. Invest. Like, send... Take some risk. Give a portion to seven or even to eight. You don't know what disaster may happen on the earth. So at first he's just telling us, like, open up your hands. Don't, don't hoard it. Don't hold on to it. And, but he's saying diversify it, right? This is kind of like uh, investment, you know, from an economy, like, you know, financial standpoint. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. He says, like, give, give some here, give some there, give some there. That way one of them goes down. You're not all, like, you know, you're not all in with that. You've got stuff happening everywhere. He starts to say, spend your life in a way that has meaning. You don't know what's going to happen on the earth. And this is part, he's going to leverage this idea of us not knowing to say, okay, instead of that crippling you to keep you from doing anything, it should actually free you up to, 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 to live radically and with risk. So he goes on, verse 3, he says, if clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. If a tree falls, these are weird verses. If a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. I'm going to chew on that for a minute. Then we'll go home. Like, oh, cool. What'd you learn at church today? Well, I mean, whichever direction the tree falls, it's going to lay there. <laughs> cool. <laughs> Thanks, Solomon, right? What, here's what he's saying. Like, I think there's a lot of different angles you can, you can look at that. And the commentators are all, like, there's all kinds of confusion. These last few, last few chapters, there's just, like, no consistency from commentaries. So I'm just trying to stay in this, this theme that we've been in this book and, and just going to let it continue to thread to, the, to, to the, the end is, hey, the only thing that matters in this life is that you, you and God, right? That's where we're headed next week. But the, the, the theme that keeps getting threaded through here is, like, no. Don't hold on to your life. Don't worry about all of these things. Um, and, and there's some things you can count on. So I think part of what he's saying in verse 3 is like, yeah, like don't be an idiot. That was a theme a few weeks ago. I didn't realize I said it a couple of times, but staff was giving me a hard time. It was like the tagline of a sermon. It's like, 
don't be an idiot. And we're going to get t-shirts made. So we just hang in there. But he's saying, like, don't be, don't be foolish with the way you risk. You can look at the clouds and say, like, it's going to rain. Right? Like, we know. Look at the clouds. Mount West, it's going to rain. Like, you know, so don't, you know, don't start your, your harvest right then. Like, have some sense about you. And, and, and he's going on to say, like, yeah, and if a tree falls, like, it's going to fall that direction. Like, you can't just be worried. Well, I mean, the trees might fall. I don't know. And he's like, yeah, I'm just going to fall, and whichever direction it falls there, it's going to lay. So, so don't, don't, be, don't be like, don't hold back your harvest or hold back your investment because you think that the you know, market might fall out or whatever. We're, we're talking about kingdom market here. We're talking about uh, living our lives for the Lord. And he's saying, like, yeah, trees are going to fall. And, and you know what? Sometimes it's going to feel like a complete loss, but that's actually the Lord using that for his bigger picture. And you don't know. So there's that. But then I also think there's this, there's this uh, reality that he's saying, like, your life matters. God wants to use you in your life for the kingdom. And if you don't, if you hold back and you never send your, your bread out on the waters, that has consequences. Right? I think that's part of what he's saying is like, yeah, I mean, the tree's going to fall, and it's going to lay there. You can't change. The tree's not going to get back up and, you know, follow a different direction. Like, it's going to lay there. So if you waste your life, it has consequences. So don't, don't waste your life. Like, let, let's get to work here. Let's make sure there's an intentionality about this. Um, I think there's more implications to this whole idea of the tree. I think it's, it's talking about, I think it can be applied to the reality that, hey, Jesus saves us and forgives us of our sins, but that doesn't mean the consequences of the life, the choices that we make in life are not going to play out. Right, like if, if you you cre- you sin against somebody or you you know commit a criminal act, yes, if you truly repent and trust in Jesus, He will forgive you of that. But the consequences will still play out here on this earth. You, you understand? Like you still might have to serve that sentence. You still might have to pay that fine. You got to get out of that debt. Like there's still consequences to your actions. And so there's a lot that he, He's just you know wisely laying on us here. But He says, "He who observes the wind won't they, they won't sow." And he who regards the clouds, they won't reap. He says, the person who's just like really worried, like, oh, it's windy, and maybe, I don't know, we better wait till tomorrow. Maybe we'll get a better day tomorrow to, to sow. And, and, and if you're a farmer, like this makes more sense for you. You know it, it matters a lot when you're sowing the seed. For them, they're, they're, they're trying to get a day where there's no wind, right, so that they can distribute their seed evenly and, and get the best chance at a return. And so he's saying, if you're out there, you're just, you're just worried about, like, I don't know, you know, maybe, maybe tomorrow will be better. He said, you can end up getting to a place where you never sow. And yeah, like if you sowed yesterday, maybe you got a lesser return than was ideal, but at least you'd have something. He's saying, don't, don't, don't let yourself get so vexated, as he says later, and so just like worried that you'd never put your life out there. This is true for some of you. You never live your life because you're so worried. What about this? What about that? What, what if this happens? What, what if they need this? What if my kids need that? What if they, like, and, and it leads you to never actually letting your life matter the way that God wants it to matter. Same for harvest, right? They're, they're, they're worried. They don't want to harvest when it's rain. It can ruin the harvest. So they're, they're worried about that. He says, if you're just watching those clouds, you'll end up not harvesting at all. Instead of ruining some of it, you ruined it all and you've wasted. So he's pushing us to say, your life matters. You know what's going to be of consequence. That's your relationship with God. So you've got this stuff. You've got this, you know, this money, this power, this life to, to leverage. So let it matter. Send it out on the waters. 
And, and he's going to go on to say, you, you don't know the way of a spirit, verse, verse 5, you don't know the way the spirit comes to the bones of a woman, uh, in the womb of a woman with child. You, you don't, like, we have science, we know that, you know, fertilization, but like, really? The way that that life begins, it's, it's amazing. You don't actually know, like, how that's going to work and when, like, there's, there's a mystery about that. And he says, life's, life's the same way. So you don't know the work of God who makes everything. You just need to show up for work every day realizing that. Yeah, we make plans. Right? We say, yeah, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. But it's all if the Lord wills. Like Paul says, you should start saying, yeah, we plan to do this, we plan to do that, but only if the Lord wills. But, but we still, you know, we don't let that cripple us to not doing anything. Verse 6, in the morning you sow your seed, at evening don't withhold not your, you know, withhold not your hand, for you don't know which will prosper, this or that, whether both alike will all be good. So he's saying, okay, don't just be like, okay, I really think this is going to be a good year for this crop, and, and so sow that, and just be like, okay, I'm all in on that, I hope it does good. He's like, no, man, sow that, and then like, do some side hustles in the evening, like get some other stuff, plant some other things. Like You don't know whether it's going to be a good year for that, or it might be a good year for all of it. Right? Or maybe it's not that that you put everything in, but maybe it's these things, and at least you got something. He's saying, make use of every opportunity. It's kind of what he's getting at. You don't just have one thing in life. Some of you are so caught up, worried about, am I in the right job? Or do I have the right, like, do I need to go back to school so I can get this job? Do I need to get this, you know, I need to get in this position, I need to get that. And you just get really caught up thinking, like, am I doing the right thing? Am I doing what I'm made for? How many of you have lost some sleep over, like, man, I don't, I don't know what I should do with my life? And we put a lot of pressure on our young people. We had a big graduating class this year at The Journey, and it's like a lot of them just wrestling. I, I, don't, I don't know. I've got to make this decision. I'm 17, 16, 18. I, I, I don't know. I don't know what I want to do. Like, it's just a big decision. And he's saying, yeah, I mean, find something to do. Get you a job. But it's okay if it's not just that one thing. Do some other stuff, too. You might like that better. Like, he's taking some pressure off this idea of, like, you got to pick your lane Get your degree and then do that thing. You're like, ah, oh, man, there's a lot of people who hate their lives because of that. Don't, don't, don't succumb to that pressure. Your life matters before the Lord. Whatever social pressure has been put on you by, by your family, your friends, by culture, by you know, school or whatever, that needs to defer to the Lord. You need to go, Lord, you gave me this life. Like I had people... I had people tell me, Jordan, you're good at school. You're good at math. Why don't you become a doctor and make some money and make a difference? And I'm like, I don't want to go to school that long. That was really the extent of it. I wasn't really that much wiser. I was just like, no thanks. I want to get out of school. But, but in reality, then, I, then when I surrendered to ministry and started like, you know, it was, cool. it was cute when I was just going to be a young preacher. But then when I was like, no, this is what I'm going to do for my life, I had family members. I had people go like, I mean... You can't support a family as a youth pastor. I literally had a, had a family member say that. I know what we pay our youth pastor. You can't support a family as a youth pastor. You're smart. Why don't you go get a, go get a degree? Be a doctor. Be this. Be that. Whatever. It seems like a waste, right? It seems like, why would you do this? Solomon's saying, no, no, no. Your life matters before the Lord. He gave it to you. You communicate with him. You, and then, man, let's do something. Let's get out there. Let's do something. But don't feel this pressure of it has to be this one thing. That doesn't work. You can go on to something else. You can, you can hold your life in an open hand before the Lord. Verse 7, light is sweet and it's pleasant to the eyes to see the sun. Life is good. This is a theme that comes back through here. He's saying all these things won't fulfill you, but, but he's saying once you realize that, you can actually enjoy them. Life's good. 
It's good to see the sun. It's not wrong. Like, you should be able to enjoy your life. That's not a wrong thing. Okay? So if a person, verse 8, lives many years, like, rejoice in them. Rejoice in them all, he says. Enjoy that life. It's good. It's fine. Like, it's a good thing to do. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. And all that comes is vanity. So he's taking this pressure off saying, yeah, enjoy life. Don't apologize for that. But understand that the things that are coming down the pike don't matter as much as what they're hyped up to be. This next election won't have quite the consequences you think it will. This next thing won't quite have the consequences you think it will. This next fill in the blank. He's saying everything that comes down the pike, guess what? Vanity. We've covered it. It's vanity. Don't freak out about it. Don't, don't, like, don't let it steal your joy. Whether it's going to rain, whether that tree is going to fall, whether this is going to happen, that's going to happen, the economy is going to fall out, you lose your investment. Like, if, if your joy is tied to any of those things, then you won't be able to see and enjoy the sun. You won't be able to see and enjoy the life that God has for you. So renounce that. Like, invest wisely. Have good you know, plans, but, but hold it in an open hand before the Lord and give him your life. Verse 9. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let not your heart cheer in the day, or, and let your heart cheer in the days of youth. There's nothing wrong with enjoying the energy you got, right, and, and the life that you have. Do it. Walk in the ways of your heart and inside of your eyes. Like God has given you this space, He's given you this opportunity. Don't apologize about like dreaming and living and, and getting out there and doing what He's called you to do. Don't apologize about that. But know that all these things God will bring you into judgment. So He's like, this tension. Do this, but don't forget that. Do this, but don't, don't forget, right? So he's saying, hey, you're young. It's good. You got, you got a lot of life ahead of you. You can make a big difference. But don't forget that God's going to judge you. Don't forget that you'll answer to the Lord for what, what you're doing. So yeah, risk, but you need to make sure that it's a risk that you're betting on God. Because if you're saying, okay, hold on, Lord, I'll serve you once I get this figured out. Once I get to this level, we're going to look at a parable about that in just a moment. But know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment, he says. Verse 10, remove vexation from your heart, put away pain from your body, for, for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. I think he's talking to older folks here. He's saying, like, don't fret about getting older. How many of you all, like, there's a turning point that happens I don't know if it's like 18, 21, 25, where you stop like really enjoying birthdays. You're like, well, I mean, it's like we're on the other side of the good stuff now. Like I'm past my prime or whatever. And then you start to get anxious. That birthday reminds you like, ah, now I'm like over the hill or whatever that like point is where you start to go, I don't know if I'm in, like, this is now a reminder of my mortality. He's going, don't let that freak you out. Don't let that freak you out. What does he say? Youth. And the dawn of life, also vanity. There's nothing magical about going back to when you were 25 or 22 or whatever. Like, live the life you are in now. You may feel like you've wasted a lot of time. You may feel like you've missed out. And, and, and that may keep you from casting your bread on the water because you're like, man, if I, if I was younger, I'd do this. How many of you had that thought? If I was younger, I'd go back and do this. I'd get a degree so I could do that, or I, I'd serve people this way, or I, I'd, you know, I'd fill in the blank. I'd adopt, I'd foster, I'd, you know, go overseas on a mission trip. I'd go and live overseas, like whatever that is. If I was younger, he says, stop it, stop it. Just get, give it to the Lord. You don't know how long you're going to live. You might live to be 110. You might live to be tomorrow at noon. So let it go. 
Cast your bread on the water. Live your life. Live the life that God has called you to. Okay, I want to close with, with, with Jesus. And Jesus is the embodiment of all Old Testament. This is wisdom literature. Jesus is the embodiment of all Old Testament wisdom, of all wisdom, period. And he shows up and he's saying similar things as Solomon. Matthew 25, he tells this, this parable about the talents. And I'm not going to read it word for word, but, but you, he says there's, uh, in a, the kingdom is going to be like this. There's a man who, uh, going on a journey. He calls his servants together and trusts them with the property. To one, he gives five talents. To another, two. And to another, one, each according to his ability. And then he went away. And, and then he comes back. And, 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 and so they all go out, right? And the one with five starts trading and investing. And he turns his five into more. He multiplies. He, he, he uses it for, for the good. And it, you know, he... he he sees it bear fruit. The, the one with, with two does the same thing. doesn't get as much, but it's still bearing fruit. The one with one dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Verse 18 of Matthew 25, or verse 19. Now after a long time, the master, those servants came and settled accounts with him. And, and he had received, the one who had received five talents came forward, bringing five talents more. So he doubled his investment. He says, you gave me five? Yeah, I made five more. His master said, well done. You've been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Says the one with the two. You gave me two, Lord. I made two more. He doubled his as well. It was not five, but he doubled his investment. And he says, hey, good job. Same thing. Well done. Good and faithful servant. You were faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He who had received the one talent came forward. He says, master, I knew you were a hard man reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. And I, I was afraid, and, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here. So the master comes back and says, okay, where's your one? What would you do? Ah, I hid it. Just, just put it away. Like, did you put it in a bank? Maybe you got some, a, little, a little interest on it? Nah, just dug a hole. Here you go. Dusting it off. Right? What is, like Jesus says, you wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I do not, where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers at my coming that I should have received what was at least my interest. So the talent was taken from him and given to the one with 10 talents for to everyone who has will be given more for, and he will be given an abundance. But for the one who has not, even what he has will be taken and cast the worthless servant out of the darkness, and in that place there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. He's saying, you've been given a life. Some of you have gifts and talents that are going to be five talent worth, and you're going to double it, and, and everybody's going to know about it. Other people, not, not quite that level of, of famous you know, notoriety, but still, you've got a life to give. And even if you just got the one, like don't hold on to it. This is exactly what Solomon's saying. Don't, don't be like, well, I mean, it might rain. I don't want to spoil it. So Jesus elsewhere says, hey, listen, there's a piece of grain is no good unless it falls to the ground and dies. When it falls to the ground and dies, then it gives new life and new life to many. The reason Jesus is able to speak so directly in Matthew 25 is because he's the embodiment of this principle. He's the embodiment of this life. He doesn't just come talking about the wisdom of Solomon. He comes living it. He comes giving of his own life. He's saying, here's what I got. Let me give it to you so that by my own death, many can receive life. 
Jesus was the piece of grain that allowed himself to be brought to death, to fall into the earth, to be buried for three days, so that through that new birth, through that new life of his resurrection, many could be given life. That, that, that's where Jesus is coming from. And then Jesus shows up and says, hey, you want to find your life? You're looking for life? You're in the self-help section of the bookstore? Let me tell you how to find life. Give it up. Lose it. So he says, Mark, like he says, you want to try to save your life? Mark 8, 34, 35? Then lose it. But those who are trying to save it, it's going to slip through their hands. They will lose it. But those who give it away for my sake will find it. That's the key. Solomon's not just saying, just give your life away randomly. Remember what matters. God matters. Give your life to him, and it will come back to you. You might feel like investing, giving to the poor, investing in missions. You might feel like this, this building campaign. It's like, well, I mean, I don't know what I'm going to get to Like, I don't even get to see a new building. Like, we don't get new, new, you know, new speakers or new lights or, you know, like, you know, I, I don't know what gets for me. And, and he's saying, listen, that, that's not how this works. Like, it's between you and the Lord. Give of your life. Turn it over. Whoever gives of their life for my sake will find it. The kingdom ethic over and over and over again is the way to get is actually to give. Luke 11, Jesus says, behold, something greater than Solomon is here. Jesus is saying, something greater, someone greater than Solomon is here. He is the one who can call us to this kind of radical lifestyle because he gave his life for us. This, this kind of wisdom is countercultural. Right? It says, take the best of what you have, the best of what you are, and give it away. Hold them out to open hands to God and to others. See, worldly wisdom is going to tell you to build bunkers, to, to prepare for disaster, to, to, to make sure that you can protect what is yours and you have a plan for the future that you have no idea how it's going to take, shake out. Biblical wisdom says, hey, no, no, open up the doors and the windows of your home. Open up your hands on your possessions. Christians begin to build schools and, and hospitals and churches. And, and biblical wisdom sees Christians become far less rich than they would have been because they're opening up their hands and they're giving it away. Ecclesiastes-type wisdom, Christ-like wisdom, grows believers who spend their life on living in the world rather than on living in a world so as not to die. So, what do you do? This is not talking about like what you have left over. Jesus is coming at the heart of your life. So, it's going to look different for each of you. How do you know when you're casting your bread out, when you're actually trusting Jesus with your life? Well, Hebrews says no one could please God without faith. And what Solomon is saying is you can't, Earn God's favor by trying to read the, the, the weather report and make sure that you're the lowest risk possible. No, no. You're going to have to have faith. Faith is evidence of, of things not seen, right? The substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Like that, It's the saying, hey, I'm going to trust in the Lord. I'm going to give him my life. So what do you tend to hold to the closest? What is the thing that you could never dream of giving away. Or let me put it this way. When you have felt pricked or called or compelled by God and his spirit to step out in faith, what has kept you from it? 
And I bet you, even though that may, those calls may have looked different, it may be a mission trip, it may be a, a, you know, a downgraded lifestyle so that you can give more, it may have been fostering, it may have been adopting, it may have been um, you know, living in a certain place, it may have been you know, doing a certain career. But I bet if you trace those things around and say, okay, I, I know I felt by God to do this, but I didn't, and here's why, and you, and you trace that around, but there's a common denominator. For some of you, it's your time. Your schedule is, is the Lord of your life. Your me time matters more than the kingdom of the Lord. You're terrified that if you did this, if you live this way, you won't be able to you know, rejuvenate and recoup the way that you want. You won't be able to you know, enjoy life the way. Like your, your schedule becomes the, the, the Lord of your life. Your calendar is the idol that you serve because it has to be like this. And if you, yeah, I know God wants me to love on these people, but if, if we, I, I mean, I, I don't see where I can invite them over. If I invite them over here, it's going to throw this off, and if I, I can't do that, and I, there's just no space. Guess what he would say? Invite them over. Make space. Go on the trip. Love on the people. Some of you, it's, it's your home, it's your comfort, it's your safety. I mean, I would do this, right? I would, I would go and minister to these people. I would serve the homeless. I would take a kid in, but, but I, don't, like, I don't know if I'm, I don't know, would it be safe? What about my kids? What about this? Like, Jesus is saying, hey, you're trying to save your life. The way to find it is to give it away. I'm going to hang out this week with Allison's brother. Allison's up here singing. Her brother is home from Central Asia. It's all I could say here online, but in a, in a country that most of you would never dream of visiting, they're giving his life to tell people about Jesus. He's a second-generation attorney, had all of the wealth ahead of him to just enjoy life, build bigger barns and enjoy life. And God called him to the mission field, and he said yes. And he's over there with his four kids, and people look at him like he's crazy. Really, you're going to take your kids over there in the middle of hostile territory? In the really? When really, he's the one that should be looking at us and going, really? Really? You're holding on to your lives? Safety? Comfort? Really? Have you read this? Others of you, it is your money. You're afraid to, to let go. You're afraid. There's a recession. You're afraid. Solomon says, man, open up. Trust the Lord. You can't outgive God. You can't, you can't get in a place where he, he says, I got you. Be wise about it, but, but risk. Put your life out there. Right? Others of you, it's your security. It's what people think of you. If I, I don't know. I mean, I'd like to invite this person over. And some of you, it's so simple. You're like, ah, I want to get in community. But I don't know, like nobody knows me. And you just, some of you dream about asking somebody else here to, to lunch. But your own insecurity keeps you from it. Like that's simple. But Solomon says, cast your bread on the water. Ask somebody to lunch. Go visit a community group. Right? Like th this is, this is the, the, the earthy, nitty-gritty parts of our life that Solomon's saying, hey, I know you get this philosophically. Go ahead and let it saturate your life. And you respond accordingly. Let's pray. God, would you send your spirit to penetrate our hearts and, and lead us to respond rightly as, as we each have the things that we're holding on to. We each have the things that we're afraid to let go. We each have the things that we're not sure how it'll look if I trust you. Would you send your spirit 
to, to paint a picture so radically beautiful and glorious of who you are that our hands just open up and we say, here am I, Lord. Come and move during this time. It's in Jesus' name we pray.